Well, the thing about being objectified is you're stared at, but you're never seen. How do we belong to others while still remaining our own person, which is the female condition? In the past, in my 20s, I was very wishy-washy about maintaining those emotional boundaries because I felt those were selfish. And then I realized to call self-care selfish is like saying an inhale is indulgent. Welcome to Zestful Aging, where I talk with fascinating and inspiring guests who are living their lives with vibrance and purpose. I'm your host, Nicole Christina, psychotherapist, author, and fellow Zestful Ager. I want to invite you to my brand new free webinar, Zestful Aging, Here's How You Do It. Many of my clients tell me that they're stretched too thin with too many demands upon them. They're just worn out. In my brand new webinar, I teach simple and sensible habits that will significantly improve your life now and help you age with vibrance and resilience. But it's important to start now. Don't wait until your body's distress signals go from a whisper to a scream. If you followed me at all, you know I'm not about restrictive diets or boot camps. I believe life can be challenging enough. Let's appreciate our bodies and minds for the miraculous systems they are and take the time to take care of ourselves. Self-care pays big dividends now and in the future. And being well ourselves is the only way we can help those we love. And if you sign up now, I will send you my super zestful aging checklist, which I designed so you have clear guidelines right at your fingertips. The webinar is free. You can sign up at NicoleChristina.com. And as always, I appreciate your feedback. Well, I have my Jack Russell Terrier Sparky right beside me and my coffee in my hand. So let's begin. We have a great show for you today. I am talking with Rima Zaman, who is an actress, model, writer, and is the 2018 Oregon Literary Arts Writer of Color Fellow. She's the author of the new memoir, I Am Yours, which will be on sale in January. Her book is receiving enormous buzz given its profound timeliness, and the beauty and impact of the writing. I Am Yours tells the story of Rima's unwavering fight to protect and free her voice from those that sought to silence her. The book begins in Bangladesh, moves to Thailand, and then to New York and Oregon. And through each chapter, we experience the challenges Rima has encountered in her life and the way she's managed to turn that pain into power. What's most astonishing and fulfilling about this book is Rima's ability to navigate and overcome some of the most brutal adversities with such strength, resilience, and courage. The language of this book is so beautiful and poetic that in itself acts as healing and inspiration for the reader as well. 
She becomes a voice in the dark that alleviates the loneliness and despair that infuses the reader with hope, healing, and strength and lets us know that we are loved. Welcome to Zestful Aging, Rima. Thank you so much, Nicole. What a wonderful introduction. I am so honored to be on your podcast. Thank you. I am so excited as well. And I had the great privilege, of course, to read The Galley Prince. And um, so I've been really looking forward to talking to you about the book. And I wanted to start with the title, I Am Yours. Can you talk a little bit about how you chose that title, how the name came about? Absolutely. I, I love speaking on that. So the title is so special to me, and it's, it was the first thing that came to my mind. I knew it was going to be called I Am Yours. And it's very, and you've read the book, so you understand that it, the title resonates on so many levels. It's, it's a pact with the reader. It truly is a, a memoir that was written for not only my own personal healing, but also to serve as a manual of healing for healing and resilience and courage for anybody who reads this book. And I wanted to create a book that was essentially a love letter that alleviates the loneliness and despair that comes from being human and alive in this world, especially as a woman. There are so many challenges we go through, and I wanted to create a book that can act as a lullaby as well as a warrior cry, a warrior cry that lets us know we are loved and comforted, that lets us know I am here I love you, I am yours. Those are the three lines that are repeated throughout the book. And originally they came into my life because when I was a toddler, I invented an imaginary best friend to keep me company through throughout life. And um, this imaginary best friend gave me solace and gave me courage. And I, as I grew up, I refused to let her go. And she... I realized later she is my inner voice and this connection with my inner voice has been the thing that has sustained me and nourished me my entire life as I've gone through you know intimate partner violence as I've gone through sexual assault as I've gone through diaspora and misogyny and all the various things that that can visit a human life especially a woman's life and having this connection with my inner voice and hearing her say I am here I love you I am yours has been the elixir and that has sustained me through mm-hmm. every year. And so naturally, I knew since I wanted to create a book that was a heart line between myself and the reader, the title being I Am Yours made absolute sense. It, it's never been a question to me. And the entire book sprung from that title, really. And um, a lot of authors, you know, when they sign on with an agent and a publisher, there are discussions about various titles. That wasn't the case at all with this book because, like I said, I Am Yours is so emblematic to what this book is and what to what I am and my mission in this world. It's so interesting that to hear you talk about that, because I have to share with you my interpretation Mm. of the title, which was, I thought it was, 
ironic mm. that instead of I am yours, mm -hmm. as you are somebody else's, as you have clearly felt through your life, mm -hmm. that there was this paradoxical, no, I am yours, meaning that you're right. speaking to yourself, not yes. somebody else. I love that you drew upon that um, that complexity, because that's precisely another one of the points I wanted to to just illustrate without hitting the reader over the head. And mm -hmm. I think it is, I am yours is such a battle that so all women we do go through this sense of identity and personhood amidst belonging to others and taking care of others, right? How do we, mm -hmm. how do we belong to others while still remaining our own person, which is the female condition, um, whether we're mothers or daughters or lovers or wives to somebody else, we're constantly taking care of others. So how do we still maintain a sense of I am my own amidst it mm -hmm. all? Selfhood. Exactly, selfhood. I, it's interesting that you were talking about your inner voice because I wanted to ask you about this voice mm. and wondered if it was your muse, your true self, an alter ego. But it sounds like you're describing it as just your own conversation with yourself. Is that is that right? It is. And, you know, it's all of those things. It's the... It's the future self, it's the ancient ancestor self, it is the inner child, it is the present self. And I do touch on that towards the very end, the very last couple of paragraphs, which I won't give away, but um, yes, it's exactly what you just brought up, that uh, all the various people, all the various selves we hold within us through every day and a connection to that. Mm-hmm. So there's so many things we can talk about. <laughs> I don't know if you knew this about me, but I've treated eating disorders for almost 30 years, and I've heard so many accounts of women trying to make themselves invisible and um, pleasing and not upsetting anybody, so that the idea is... They don't take up space. Mm. They don't offend at all. And there's a sense that I'm small and I'm pleasing. And then perhaps I can take breath. I deserve mm. just this little bit. And you wrote so eloquently, I think, about the experience of being a woman and, and just being so, there's this desperation about, mm. am I pleasing enough? Am I, right. is that, does that sound right, Rima? It does. And, um, and I think it's, you know, it's compounded by the fact that in most cultures, women are raised to be, to become people in reaction and extension to men. All the choices we make, we're, we're taught that our highest goal and priority is to attract and secure the attention and affections of the ideal man. So everything we become is in response to, to that ideal man or to securing his attention. Mm -hmm. And we just hound after that and we, be, we become negative space, essentially, as opposed to positive space, right? Because mm -hmm. we're carved mm -hmm. around these other people. And um, 
Would you like me to read that? Passage? I would love that. Yes, please. Right. Um, one man, then another, and another, and another, will tell me I am his, and I will love this like water. I drink each syllable of every promise, letting their honey drip down my chin. Their words tease aside the fibers to soothe the parched place I imagine is my heart. I'm a dehydrated peach, a jolt of energy, perfect for easy consumption. Shrunken and pinched by my desire to love and be loved, to belong and hold close, so pleasing and sweet that I'm nearly cloying. All I want is to make you happy. Mm. What's it like for you to read that now that the book is going to be, um, you know, it's in pre-order now, right. you've spoken about it, you've been interviewed. What's it like to to read those passages? It's, you know, it's really gratifying to know that these words will soon be in the hands of so many people, because I think all of us can hear ourselves in those words. And when we hear ourselves reflected, the loneliness alleviates. And that's, that's the strength in numbers, strength in solidarity. And when the loneliness alleviates, so does all of the myth that we need to be these women, you know, that we need to be these shrunken and pinched jolts of easy consumption. That alleviates as well. So much of the trappings of of patriarchy, of anorexia, of of all the all the diseases that we're infected with, right? With the, the world is infected with, and then bodily we become infected with. So many of those illnesses, it thrives on silence and loneliness. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And when we demystify and unpack all of these things and we let them out of the closet, that's when we start saying, oh, me too, me too, me too. I went through that mm-hmm. as well. And the moment we say that, that's part of the battle. You know, mm-hmm. that's part of the journey back to healing and to becoming more independent, fully realized people who are not shrunken peaches. You're talking about um, shame, I think, yes. right? And bringing this out to the light of day. Right. Absolutely. And I, I'm so grateful that you know, people are responding the way that they are to, you know, all of the early readers. And it's, it's out of that uh, solidarity of feeling heard and understood by these words. And I initially sat down to write this and, you know, all of my writing and my speaking, it engages in something I call radical vulnerability. And I chose that style of voice from this very, very deep need for connection in my life, uh, in my personal life and in the larger world, I just felt so lonely all the time. I felt so uh, invisible to most of the people in my life. Which is so interesting because being a model and having, right. you know, these qualities of, of, you know, sort of the objectively mm-hmm. sought after body, sought after externals. Right. Well, the thing about being objectified is you're stared at, but you're never seen. Mm. So I, w- I was constantly stared at, but I was never, ever seen, whether it was mm-hmm. by a romantic partner or by employers. And it was from the very human desire and need for authentic visibility, authentic connection, 
authentic intimacy that I wrote this book. And it created, you know, I feel like, so I sat down to write this on November 28, 2013 was my first, the first day of writing. And I have, through the process of creating this book and creating this writing voice and publishing essays in this writing voice and, you know, growing a social media uh, community, all of that, I have now created the family I've always yearned for and a family that makes me feel authentically connected and seen. The reason why people become excited about my work is because it allows them to feel seen and heard and understood and loved as well. Mm-hmm. And I've heard your writing, uh, or this book, actually, it's been described as both timely and timeless. And mm. I... Wondering if you're watching um, or if you watch the Kavanaugh hearings and what that's been like for you. It's well, it's been so many things. I think all of us felt equal parts fury and despair and the feeling of, oh, history repeating itself. But I think what the new thing we are all feeling is no more. Time's up. We are done. And we have all risen as the revolution we've needed. We know that we are the reckoning. And one of the things that are my, my, my mantra and the tagline for this book is, to speak is a revolution and it is time. Mm-hmm. And uh, um, you, you've read in the memoir, one of the sentences, uh, the, the couplets is, the voice is a muscle, the more we use it, the more we give it, the stronger it grows. Mm-hmm. And I really... What I love is that woman by woman, voice by voice, story by story, we are authoring a new anthem. We have said we are done, we are rejecting the old narrative, and we are creating our new world. So not only has this been a revolution for you in this radical vulnerability Mm. and a healing process and a gateway, as you say, to self-love, but... It sounds like you feel very much a part of this social movement in this very moment as we are... Very much so. And mm-hmm. I'm, I'm really grateful that I sat down to write this book and I wanted it to be about a definitive female journey as opposed to speaking on, say, just one aspect of the female journey or hashtag a Me Too story, Right. And I'm grateful that I began writing this book five years ago. So it wasn't in response to any specific current news cycle or social movement. It was just Mm -hmm. an extension of, it was just a reflection of my own life, the timeline I had gone through. And so it very organically went into these different chapters in my life that has to do with, you know, I didn't know it was a Me Too story until last year when we we all became part of the Me Too movement. But when I sat down to write my book, there was a chapter that, yes, happened to be about when I was raped when I was 23, but I wasn't writing it with the intention to respond to a news cycle. I was writing it mm-hmm. with this larger scope and scale. And so I'm very happy that that's how this piece of art has been constructed. 
Uh, because it allows it dovetailed exactly it yes I see. and then because also then the tone of the writing is different you know what i mean because then the shelf life for this book isn't determined by a, a new cycle mm-hmm. it's because, your story exactly and it just fits into this place in history right. but it's truly just it's so personal and so unique to right you. and so it it allows it to be uncannily timely, but also timeless, because it's a definitive arc of a woman's life, as opposed to just responding to the zeitgeist, Mm -hmm. right? Uh, Mm -hmm. It speaks to the zeitgeist, absolutely, completely, but it isn't um, determined by the ebb and flow of it. Does that make sense? It does make sense, but I don't know if this has happened yet, but it occurs to me that you are going to be, if you're not already, a heroine for some Me Too individuals. Thank and I'm wondering you. how you how that sits with you. It's it's been an immense privilege and honor to have become a voice for a lot of people. I I see it as I'm a humble messenger for a larger cry of courage. I don't see myself as, oh, here I am, everyone's you know, answer by any means. It's, uh, I'm very humbled that I can be a conduit for healing, a conduit for the courage another woman may need, that um, I'm so humbled and grateful that other people can see themselves in my words and use my words as their um, you know, loving voice in the dark. Because yes, I've all, all of my personal essays has in the last couple of years, they've been getting published rapidly, and all of them have to do with these very, um, very important and hard-hitting issues, whether it's anorexia or sexual assault, and finding our healing and resilience beyond it all. Um, and then especially, you know, you and I, we connected because of my episode on the Dear Sugars podcast, where I spoke on the emotional abuse episode, and I spoke on the emotionally violent marriage I went through in my mid-20s. And I am so grateful that I can be this voice that helps others break free and heal from those cycles of violence. And so, um, yeah, my answer is I'm, I'm very honored and grateful. And, and I have worked very hard to find ways to articulate these words so that I could be prepared mm-hmm. when, when called to be on the proverbial podium or microphone. Mm -hmm. I feel a deep sense of responsibility to Mm -hmm. do this job well. And I, and I think that's what speaks so, so much to people where I did go through my own healing process before stepping up to the mic, because I think that is very, very crucial to not use one's audience as therapy, but to use one's audience as a conversation. I'm in service of you. I'm not going to use you while I go through my own, um, battles. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, so mm-hmm. I did this work before and, I, and I'm grateful that now I can step up and serve. You speak very clearly about the writing being your therapy, your healing. Um, are there other things that you have done, other ways that you have 
allowed yourself to heal or brought healing to you other versions? I think any, you know, self-care is very, very important to me. And I, I really started recognizing that when I was 24. So I was raped at 23. And it was after that when I realized, given the environment I was living in, New York City, which is a very fast-paced and ravenous environment, especially if you're a young woman, I, I realized that the environment, the landscape of the city, as well as the landscape of the industries I was part of as an actress and a model, and then the, you know, the, the trials that visit many women's lives, which are you know, any, things to do with sexual assault and intimate partner uh, abuse, I realized I had to come up with ways to fortify my spirit, to keep myself protected amidst all of the brutality. And I became a student of of spirituality and self-care. I really took it to heart because I realized I am my first and only line of defense. I have to take care of my mind, body, and spirit as much as I can to survive and thrive in this world as a, as a woman. Mm-hmm. And so in addition to daily journaling that I had already, I, I started keeping a very specific kind of gratitude journal where I didn't just list the things I was grateful for in my life. I also started doing this practice, this morning practice of writing down things that I could admire myself for. Things like I am kind or I am a hard worker. And as we all know, on some mornings, that's very easy to make a list of qualities we find admirable about ourselves. And on other days, it's brutally hard. Mm-hmm. And I realized, yes, I think both of those things need to be, need to happen side by side to build and sustain your self-esteem, to remind myself, I am a good person, despite what is going on around me, despite what other people may be trying to get me to feel about myself. I am here. Again, I am here. I am yours. I love you. I, um, so I kept, I've always kept that gratitude journal and I call it my prayer journal, my, my morning prayer to my, my inner voice. And then, um, I've recognized what I need to feel calm and to feel as my, um, strongest self. And I'm very good about, uh, maintaining emotional boundaries with, with people and practices that deplete me. And in the past, in my 20s, I was very wishy-washy about maintaining those emotional boundaries because I felt those were selfish. And then I realized to call self-care selfish is like saying an inhale is indulgent, you know? Mm-hmm. And it's uh, we need to practice all of these things if we want to sustain our, our spirit and our strength especially as women. And I, uh, so I'm very, very uh, diligent about boundaries. And it's a self-care practice, and I will not budge from it. And the moment I start to recognize that a person in my life has become a toxic energy, I'm very good about just, you know, creating a wall that they don't need to know about, but I, I know about. <laughs> just a, an emotional mm-hmm. distance. And uh and, and that has become easier with age. It's become easier the moment I sat down to write and I started recognizing that there is value to my words, that there is a, a larger social value to this kind of work. I started to value my own self more. 
because I realized, you know what? The healthier I am, the better my work will be. And the better my work, the better the chances that I can help others. Therefore, I need to take care of myself so that I can truly serve others mm-hmm. through this work. And so in the same way that I'm so diligent about time management, I'm very diligent about energy management. That's what I call it, energy management, when it, emotional boundaries. Mm-hmm. And I think that's the hardest for women to recognize energy management is key to maintaining our strength and sense of self amidst this life. I'm curious if self-care is something that you think you would have been able to practice if you were back in Bangladesh or Thailand. Would it be would there be a different environment or different pressures? Absolutely. Well, I wouldn't be the person I am. Not at all. Mm-hmm. Nothing I don't think there is anything in my day that I do now living in America that I could do in Bangladesh. Very I mean, aside from wake up and breathe, Mm. uh, I'm a runner. I've been an avid runner Mm -hmm. since I was 15 years old. And my preferred place to run is outside. And that is something you literally cannot do in Bangladesh because it is too dangerous for women to be running outside. Mm. You can't even walk down a street by yourself unless you want to incur groping, catcalls, physical violence. You can't walk down the street by yourself. You have to have a male guardian, whether it's your brother, your father, your husband, your cousin. Mm -hmm. And if you want to, you know, walk in pairs as women, you run the risk of being physically, physically assaulted in really degrading ways. Yeah. So, I mean, just that in itself, um, I certainly would not be speaking in this manner of this completely unapologetic feminist voice. I wouldn't be doing this kind of writing. I would not have the daily life I have. I would not be, I would have a completely different personality. And which clues you into why I am so determined and committed to my work. I understand Mm -hmm. this immense privilege of being allowed by life to become this woman. Uh, My parents worked tirelessly to give me and my siblings an amazing education and everything, especially I'm the oldest and I'm, and on top of that, I'm a daughter. So it was really, really taught to me from a young age. And I'm the, of the, of all the siblings, I'm the only one who was born in Bangladesh. Mm -hmm. So every single second of every day, I'm so attuned to the, to the layers of blessings and privileges that I have been given that allows me to be this kind of person mm-hmm. that I would not have been given had I been born to a different set of parents. Mm. And then and then watching your own mother's mm-hmm. transformation. Right. And exactly. And, you know, she's, because people will ask me, how did you become this, you know, impassioned, riotous voice for women's rights? And um, I became the woman my mother needed me to be, to put it simply. Mm-hmm. You know, I started speaking in this way as a very young girl. I started telling her all of these radical things like, Mama, you have to start thinking about yourself. And if you think to do that would be selfish, that's like saying an inhale is indulgent. Mm-hmm. You know, I would tell her those things when I was 14 years old and 
we started, you know, we would read Toni Morrison and Maya Angelou voraciously, and we would quote back all of those empowering mm-hmm. lines and use that as food. That's so interesting because some of those seeds that were planted obviously came to fruition for Thank her. You. Yes, they they have. They have. Um, it has been remarkable to see my mother grow. Uh, it's one of the deepest. And and because she's um, she had me when she was 22, and so we were girls together, and now we are women together. Mm-hmm. There's a... Uh... I I do want to ask you about this other uh, element of your writing that I find so fascinating. Mm. Uh, And I'll tell you now, when I was reading your book, the word velvet came to mind. And I thought, these pros are velvet. And then I remembered using that word to describe Ella Fitzgerald's voice. Oh, wow, Nicole. (laughs) Thank you. And that's, and I wanted to share that with you because I suspect you you might not have heard it put quite that way. Oh, thank you so much. You just made my my life. (laughs) Oh, my goodness. (laughs) Thank you so much. But you talk, you're welcome, but you talk about the actual process of reading so that your reader can feel comforted by direct contact and skin to skin therapy. Yes. Could you talk about that, please? Absolutely. So I, I knew, so when I sat down on November 28, 2013, to write this one very specific book, I knew that I wanted to engage with the the brutal experiences that I have gone through. And I knew, though, that in order to do that in a way that would allow the reader to sit inside the pain with me, I had to invent a style of voice and writing that would allow them to sit inside of these brutal experiences without feeling depleted or um, exhausted or or traumatized. You know what I mean? Because mm-hmm. I, I didn't want to not go into the experience of trauma because I think it's very important for us to read of other people's traumas so that we can become better human beings. You know, that's how we, we awaken empathy. It's how we create awareness. So I knew I wanted to talk about sexual assault, intimate partner violence, but I wanted to do it in a way that wasn't a, you know, traumatic for the reader. Secondary trauma, exactly. we call it. Yes. Exactly, secondary trauma. And I know that as an actor where I've been in place before where, you know, we're going to go into a scene that is really, really brutal on the human heart. So how do we do that as artists whilst taking care of our audience? And we know as artists that you use beauty. You use beautiful lifting music in that part of the film. You know what I mean? It's because it, it, it acts as a bomb for the reader's eyes and heart and, and ears. And so I wanted for the language of the, this written language to hold music, to hold healing, to become a healing bomb for the reader as I navigate mm-hmm. them through choppy traumatic waters. I wanted mm-hmm. to go through trauma without it being traumatizing. And mm-hmm. so I created this writing voice that... And this style of writing that is very poetic and musical and lyrical. And I was, my goal was to create something that was velvety 
and um, and healing in its the very syllables and, and sentences. I wanted them to feel comforting and nourishing, in the same way that I knew that I wanted to write a book without the fourth wall, and I wanted to write and I wrote this book without the fourth wall, so that the reader can feel nourished and comforted by the direct contact with the musical language, with the velvety voice, in the same way that skin-to-skin therapy is used for babies to help them grow and thrive. What is the fourth wall, Rima? I'm not familiar with So the fourth with wall, when you break the fourth wall as, a, as an actor, is when you turn to the audience and you speak directly to the audience. I see. So in the same way, when you break the fourth wall as a writer, it's when you turn to your reader and you use the word you. Or you use the word we and you speak directly to the reader. And this mm-hmm. and and it's very, very tricky to pull off because if you do it in the wrong way, it becomes cheesy and cloying. Mm-hmm. It there has to be a fine balance of contact, but not um cheesiness. Mm-hmm. And how was that in terms of actually the process of writing? Was that was that difficult? Did it no. make writing more difficult to find th- this beauty in oh, the sentence you. structure and the and the words and the combination of words? Is that thank did you. that make it more difficult than it would have been just to state, you know, the right. events? Um, you know, I think also poeticism is something if you are trying too hard for it, you lose it. Mm-hmm. And in the same way that um, when you're trying to be funny, you fall flat, right? Mm-hmm. When we, and we've seen comics like that where you're like, oh, honey, just lay off a little bit. It's like you're yeah, going... it's you know, painful. It's painful, exactly. So in the same ways, uh, musicality and language is the same. So it's kind of um, in acting, we call it a soft focus where you you have these goals in mind and then... You just let it be in your periphery as a soft focus. And you engage in creating the art with a soft focus as opposed to, I really need this to happen right now. Mm-hmm. Right? You don't try too hard. Exactly. Exactly. Mm-hmm. And so actually, I mean, the process of writing I Am Yours and developing this book and then developing my my community of readers and developing essays and engagement, all of that, these last five years have been the easiest five years of my life in terms of, yes, of course, I've, I work constantly and the effort is all there, mm-hmm. but nothing has felt arduous. Mm-hmm. I feel that like the first 30 years of my life was just one long, mm-hmm. brutal mm-hmm. battle and everything was full of, you know, predators and violence and unkindness and lack of support and these five years have just been, oh, it's just been a dream come true. And the writing process has felt like that too. I think because I spent 30 years virtually silent, you know, especially as a model and an actress, I was never I was never speaking my own words. And then the kind of girl and uh, girlfriend and wife I was, I was never speaking my own words. I was always speaking in response to what a man wanted from me. So when I sat down to write, everything just poured out with this effortlessness because I was so hungry mm-hmm. to finally speak in my own voice. 
Mm. I'm, I'm just, uh, I'm, I'm looking at the book now and, and mm-hmm. the words I've had to live exactly as I have. Every yes. word, page, moment, and character has been necessary. To say I'm grateful wouldn't suffice. I am in love is more accurate. Yes, I am in love with my life. I really am. And that's um, some of my favorite lines. And it's towards the end when I'm having this sort of um, moment of reverence for the way my life has turned out. And then also what I have made sure for it to become. I have used all of, because I think that's what it is. It's um, we have to engage in the practice of active living. Just how you, you know, zestful aging, Mm -hmm. active living of Mm -hmm. saying, you know, I'm not going to be a passive observer or leaf in the wind of my own life. I'm going to use the winds toward my benefits so that I can rise and fill into the fullest version of myself and be in service of others. So I've made sure to take the pain and turn it into poetry and to take the wounds and turn them into wisdom for myself and now for others. Mm-hmm. Mm. It's part of being actively alive. Mm-hmm. I want to leave our listeners mm-hmm. with your contact information and also tell them a little bit about how they can pre-order your book. Wonderful. Well, thank you. Yes. So uh, I Am Yours is available on pre-order in Barnes and Nobles, Amazon, IndieBound, Books a Million, all of the, wherever books are sold, Powell's everywhere. Mm -hmm. So uh, wherever your favorite bookstore is, just put in an order. And there are links on my website, on my homepage, as well as the I Am Yours page. And of course, if you just type my name and I am yours, or just if you, if you type my name, I'm the only Rima Zaman in the world, so I'm very easy mm-hmm. to Google. And mm-hmm. of course, and please do follow along on Instagram and Facebook and Twitter. I um, Every Monday, I do something called Love Letter Monday, mm-hmm. and which you have read, dear Nicole. <laughs> and mm. and I, really, I really believe that the antidote to pain is community. The antidote to loneliness is finding our voices in each other and together. And that's why I I have decided to live my life out loud and publicly in connection with other lives. And if we can help each other become more happy and healed and alive every day, that I think that's the only reason we're all here on this planet together. Otherwise, we would have our own planets, <laughs> right? We're here to make, mm-hmm. we're here to alleviate the ache of being human. Mm-hmm. We're here to help each other. It has been a true honor to, to speak with you, Rima, about this, the, the timelessness you. and the timely um, subject matter. Thank you so It's much. an exquisite book. Oh, and I'm so happy I, and, <laughs> um, I, I'm just so grateful for the opportunity to speak with you because I am pretty certain that 
come January, <laughs> your dance card's going to be full. Oh, you're so kind. Thank you. And you know, it, it feels like a collective success because it's it's a simple. It, I mean, it's not a simple story. It's but it's the one story, and that's one of my favorite things to hear from readers is hearing, oh, this is my story too. Although the details are very different, your story is exactly like my story and you are the voice who is giving voice to the words I have always wanted to hear and wanted to speak. And that's actually the subtitle um, on, on the cover. So it says, I am yours, that's the title. And then most of the time, memoirs just have, it says a memoir, mm -hmm. but for I am yours, it's called a shared memoir. Ah. Right? And it makes sense, doesn't it? Mm-hmm. This is a love letter to remind us that we women, we are not our wounds. We are, we are the warrior we become in spite of those wounds. We are connected in our pain, but moreover, we are connected in our courage. And we have this power of being able to turn our pain into our poetry in our own lives and as service to others in the world. What a beautiful message mm. to share with my listeners. Thank you so much, Rima. And thank you, Nicole. It was my pleasure and an honor. Thank you so much for joining us on Zestful Aging. If you like the podcast, please share with some of your friends. I love to hear from my listeners. Send me an email at NicoleChristina.com. And please consider becoming a patron of the show. You will get access to exclusive bonuses and you will be part of the Zestful Aging community. Keep us going strong. Go to patreon.com slash zestful aging. See you next time for another episode of Zestful Aging.